Chapter One of Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Osoli. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chufi Galeazzi, Roner Park, California. Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Osoli, by Julia Ward Howe. Chapter One Childhood and Early Youth school days the subject of the following sketch sarah margaret fuller has already been most fortunate in her biographers cut off herself in the prime of life she left behind her devoted friends who were still in their full vigor of thought and sentiment three of these james freeman clark ralph waldo emerson and william henry channing set their hand some thirty or more years ago to the happy task of preserving for posterity their strong personal impressions of her character and influence with these precious reminiscences were interwoven such extracts from her correspondence and diary as were deemed fittest to supply the outline of her own life and experience what it may be asked can such biographers have left for others to do to surpass their work is not to be thought of but in the turning and perseverance of this planet present soon becomes past and that which has been best said asks to be said again this biography so rich in its suggestions and so valuable in its details is already set in a past light by the progress of men and of things its theme has lost none of its interest nay it is through the growing interest felt in margaret and her work that a demand seems to have arisen for a later word about her which cannot hope to be better or wiser than the words already made public but which may borrow from them the inspiration for a new study in presentment according to the authorities already established sarah margaret fuller the child of timothy fuller and margaret crane was born at cambridgeport near boston on the twenty third of may eighteen ten she has herself given some account of her early life in an autobiographical sketch which forms the prelude to the work already published her father she says was a lawyer and a politician the son of a country clergyman harvard bred both as to his college and his professional studies she remembers him chiefly as absorbed in the business and interest of his profession intent upon compassing the support of his family and achieving such distinction as might prove compatible with that object her mother she describes as one of those fair flower-like natures which sometimes spring up even beside the most dusty highways of life bound by one law with the blue sky the dew and the frolic birds and in the arduous labor of her father's life his love for this sweet mother was the green spot on which he stood apart from the commonplaces of mere bread-winning bread-bestowing existence the case between margaret and her father is the first to be disposed of in our consideration of her life and character in the document just quoted from she does not paint him en beau here and elsewhere she seems to have been inclined to charge upon him the excessive study which exaggerated her natural precocity of temperament and the puritan austerity which brought her ungratified imagination into early conflict with the circumstances and surroundings of her start in life in a brief preface to the memoir already published a surviving brother of margaret characterizes this view of the father as inadequate and unjust 
margaret herself called her sketch an autobiographical romance and evidently wrote it at a period of her life in which her personal experience had thrown little light upon the difficulties which parents encounter in the training of their children and especially in that of their eldest-born from the sketch itself we gather that the fuller household although not corresponding to the dreams of its wonder-child had yet in it elements which were most precious for her right growth and development the family itself was descended from a stock deeply thoughtful and religious with the impulses of such kindred came to margaret the strict and thrifty order of primitive new england life the absence of frivolity the distaste for all that is paltry and superficial in after years her riper judgment must have shown her as it has shown many the value of these somewhat stern surroundings the little puritan children grew up it is true in the presence of a standard of character and of conduct which must have seemed severe to them the results of such training have shown the world that the child so circumstanced will rise to the height of his teaching started on a solid and worthy plane of thought and of motive he will not condescend to what is utterly mean base and trivial either in motive or in act if as may happen he fails in his first encounters with outside temptation he will nevertheless severely judge his own follies and will one day set himself to retrieve them with earnest diligence in the instance before us we can feel how bitter may have been the contrast between the child's natural tastes and the realities which surrounded her routine and restraint were burdensome to her when as yet she could not know their value not the less were they of great importance to her the surroundings too which were devoid of artistic luxury and adornment forced her to have recourse to the inner sense of beauty which is sometimes lost and overlaid through much pleasing of the eye and ear childhood indeed insists upon having the whole heavenly life unpacked upon the spot its to-day knows no to-morrow hence its common impatience and almost inevitable quarrel with the older generation which in its eye represents privation and correction the early plan of studies marked out for margaret by her father was not devised by any commonplace mind mr fuller had gained from his own college life that love of culture which is valuable beyond any special attainment his own scholarship had been more than common and it became his darling object to transmit to his little daughter all that he himself had gained by study and as much more as his circumstances would permit he did indeed make the mistake common in that day of urging the tender intellect beyond the efforts proper to its stage of growth margaret says that the lessons set for her were as many and various as the hours would allow and on subjects far beyond my age these lessons were recited to her father after office hours and as these hours were often prolonged the child's mind was kept in a state of tension until long after the time when the little head should have rested serenely on its pillow in consequence of this it often rested very ill and the youthful prodigy of the daytime was terrified at night by dreams and illusions and disturbed by sleep-walking from these efforts and excitements resulted as she says a state of being too active and too intense which wasted my constitution and will bring me 
although i have learned to understand and to regulate my now morbid temperament to a premature grave this was unhappy certainly the keen active temperament did indeed acquire a morbid intensity and the young creature thus spurred on to untimely effort began to live and to learn at a pace with which the slowness of circumstance was never able to keep abreast even with the allowance which must be made for the notion of that time as to what a child should be able to accomplish it must grieve and surprise us to find margaret at the age of six years engaged in the study of latin and of english grammar her father demanded accuracy and clearness in everything intelligible statement reasoned thought and a certainty which excluded all suppositions and reservations these were his requirements from his young pupil a certain quasi-dogmatic mode of enunciation in later life which may have seemed on a superficial view to indicate an undue confidence and assumption had probably its origin in the decided way in which the little margaret was taught to recite her lessons under the controlling influence of her father she says that her own world sank deep within away from the surface of her life in what i did and said i learned to have reference to other minds but my true life was only the dearer that it was secluded and veiled over by a thick curtain of available intellect and that coarse but wearable stuff woven by the ages common sense the latin language opened for margaret the door to many delights the roman ideal definite and resolute commended itself to her childish judgment and even in later life she recognized virgil as worthy to lead the great dante through hell and to heaven in horace she enjoyed the serene and courtly appreciation of life in ovid the first glimpse of a mythology which carried her to the greek olympus her studies soon ceased to be a burden and reading became a habit and a passion her first real friends she found in her father's book closet to which in her leisure moments she was allowed free access here from a somewhat miscellaneous collection she singled out the works of shakespeare cervantes and moliere three great authors all though of unequal yet of congenial powers all of rich and wide rather than aspiring genius all free to the extent of the horizon their eye took in all fresh with impulse racy with experience never to be lost sight of or superseded of these three shakespeare was the first in her acquaintance as in her esteem she was but eight years old when the interest of romeo and juliet led her to rebel against the discipline whose force she so well knew and to persevere in reading before her father's very eyes a book forbidden for the sabbath for this offence she was summarily dismissed to bed where her father coming presently to expostulate with her found her in a strangely impenitent state of mind margaret's books thus supplied her imagination with the food which her outward surroundings did not afford they did not however satisfy the cravings of her childish heart these presently centred around a human object of intense interest a lady born and bred in polite european life who brought something of its tone and atmosphere to cheer for a while the sombre new england horizon margaret seems to have first seen her at church where the general aspect of things was especially distasteful to her 
the puny child sought everywhere for the roman or shakespeare figures and she was met by the shrewd honest eye the homely decency or the smartness of a new england village on sunday there was beauty but i could not see it then it was not of the kind i longed for as my eye one day was ranging about with its accustomed coldness it was arrested by a face most fair and well known as it seemed at first glance for surely i had met her before and waited for her long but soon i saw that she was an apparition foreign to that scene if not to me she was an english lady who by a singular chance was cast upon this region for a few months this stranger seems to have been as gracious as she was graceful margaret after this first glimpse saw her often sometimes at a neighbor's house sometimes at her own she was more and more impressed by her personal charm which was heightened in the child's eyes by her accomplishments rare in that time and place the lady painted in oils and played on the harp margaret found the greatest delight in watching the growth of her friend's pictures and in listening to her music better still they walked together in the quiet of the country like a guardian spirit she led me through the fields and groves and every tree every bird greeted me and said what i felt she is the first angel of your life delight so passionate led to a corresponding sorrow the lady who had tenderly responded to the child's mute adoration vanished from her sight and was thenceforth known to her only through the interchange of letters when this friend was withdrawn says margaret i fell into a profound depression melancholy enfolded me in an atmosphere as joy had done this suffering too was out of the gradual and natural course those who are really children could not know such love or feel such sorrow her father saw in this depression a result of the too great isolation in which margaret had thus far lived he felt that she needed change of scene and still more intercourse with girls of her own age the remedy proposed was that she should be sent to school a measure which she regarded with dread and dislike she had hitherto found little pleasure in the society of other girls she had sometimes joined the daughters of her neighbors in hard play but had not felt herself at home with them her retired and studious life had she says given her a cold aloofness which could not predispose them in her favour despite her resistance however her father persevered in his intention and margaret became an inmate of the mrs prescott school in groton massachusetts her experience here though painful in some respects had an important effect upon her after life at first her unlikeness to her companions was uncomfortable both to her and to them her exuberant fancy demanded outlets which the restraints of boarding-school life would not allow the unwonted excitement produced by contact with other young people vented itself in fantastic acts and freaks amusing but tormenting the art of living with one's kind had not formed a part of margaret's home education her nervous system had already no doubt been seriously disturbed by overwork some plays were devised for the amusement of the pupils and in these margaret found herself entirely at home in each of these the principal part was naturally assigned her and the superiority in which she delighted was thus recognized these very triumphs however in the end led to her first severe mortification 
and on this wise the use of rouge had been permitted to the girls on the occasion of the plays but margaret was not disposed when these were over to relinquish the privilege and continued daily to tinge her cheeks with artificial red this freak suggested to her fellow pupils an intended pleasantry which awakened her powers of resentment to the utmost margaret came to the dinner-table one day to find on the cheeks of pupils and preceptress the crimson spot with which she had persisted in adorning her own suppressed laughter in which even the servants shared made her aware of the intended caricature deeply wounded and viewing the somewhat personal joke in the light of an inflicted disgrace margaret's pride did not forsake her she summoned to her aid the fortitude which some of her romans had shown in trying moments and ate her dinner quietly without comment when the meal was over she hastened to her own room locked the door and fell on the floor in convulsions here teachers and schoolfellows sorrowfully found her and did their utmost to soothe her wounded feelings and to efface by affectionate caresses the painful impression made by their inconsiderate fun margaret recovered from this excitement and took her place among her companions but with an altered countenance and embittered heart she had given up her gay freaks and amusing inventions and devoted herself assiduously to her studies but the offence which she had received rankled in her breast as not one of her fellow-pupils had stood by her in her hour of need she regarded them as all alike perfidious and ungrateful and born for love now hated all the world this morbid condition of mind led to a result still more unhappy masking her real resentment beneath a calm exterior margaret received the confidences of her schoolfellows and used their unguarded speech to promote discord among them the girls naturally enough talked about each other and said things which it would have been kind and wise not to repeat margaret's central position among them would have enabled her to reconcile their small differences and misunderstandings which she on the contrary did her utmost to foment not disdaining to employ misrepresentation in her mischievous mediation before long the spirit of discord reigned throughout the school in which the prime mover of the trouble tells us scarcely a peaceful affection or sincere intimacy remained she had instinctively followed the ancient precept divide et impera and ruled for evil those who would have followed her for good this state of things probably became unbearable its cause was inquired into and soon found a tribunal was held and before the whole school assembled margaret was accused of calumny and falsehood and alas convicted of the same at first she defended herself with self-possession and eloquence but when she found that she could no more resist the truth she suddenly threw herself down dashing her head with all her force against the iron hearth on which a fire was burning and was taken up senseless all present were of course greatly alarmed at this crisis which was followed on the part of margaret by days of hopeless and apathetic melancholy during these she would neither speak nor eat but remained in a sort of stupor the result of conflicting emotions in the pain which she now felt her former resentment against her schoolmates disappeared she saw only her own offence and saw it without hope of being able to pass beyond it in this emergency 
when neither the sorrow of her young companions nor the entreaties of her teachers seemed to touch her a single friend was able to reach the seat of margaret's distemper and to turn the currents of her life once more into a healthful channel this lady a teacher in the school had always felt a special interest in margaret whose character somewhat puzzled her with the tact of true affection she drew the young girl from the contemplation of her own failure by narrating to her the circumstances which through no fault of hers had made her own life one of sorrow and of sacrifice margaret herself with a discernment beyond her years had felt the high tone of this lady's character and the proud sensibility expressed in her changing countenance from her she could learn the lesson of hope and of comfort listening to the story she no longer repulsed the hand of healing but took patiently the soothing medicine offered by her visitor this story of margaret's school life she herself has told in an episode called mariana which was published in her summer on the lakes and afterwards embodied in mr clark's contribution to the memoir already published we have already quoted several passages from it and will here give her account of the end of the whole matter she returned to life but it was as one who has passed through the valley of death the heart of stone was quite broken in her the fiery will fallen from flame to coal when her strength was a little restored she had all her companions summoned and said to them i deserved to die but a generous trust has called me back to life i will be worthy of the past nor ever betray the trust nor resent injury more can you forgive the past and says the narrative they not only forgave but with love and earnest tears clasped in their arms the returning sister they vied with one another in offices of humbled love to the humbled one and let it be recorded as an instance of the pure honour of which young hearts are capable that these facts known to some forty persons never so far as i know transpired beyond those walls in making this story public we may believe margaret to have been actuated by a feeling of the value of such an experience both in the study of character and in the discipline of young minds here was a girl really a child in age but already almost a woman in selfhood and imagination untrained in intercourse with her peers in age she felt and exaggerated her own superiority to those with whom her school life first brought her in contact this superiority she felt impelled to assert and maintain so long as she could queen it over the other pupils she was content the first serious wounding of her self-love aroused in her a vengeful malignity which grew with its own exercise unable as she found herself to command her little public by offices which had seemed to her acts of condescension she determined to rule through the evil principle of discord in a fortunate moment she was arrested in this course by an exposure whose consequences showed her the reflection of her own misconduct in the minds of those around her extreme in all things her self-reproach took the form of helpless despair which yet at the touch of true affection gave way before the courageous determination to retrieve past error by future good desert the excellence of margaret's judgment and the generosity of her heart appear in the effect which this fortunate failure had upon her maturer life the pride of her selfhood had been overthrown 
she had learned that she could need the indulgence and forgiveness of others and had also learned that her mates lightly esteemed by her up to that time were capable of magnanimous forgiveness and generous rehabilitation in the tender strength of her young mind those impressions were so received that they were never thereafter effaced the esteem of margaret for her own sex then rare in women of her order and the great charity with which she ever regarded the offences of others perhaps referred back through life to this time of trial whose shortcoming was to be redeemed by such brilliant achievements margaret's school-days ended soon after this time and she returned to her father's house much instructed in the conditions of harmonious relations with her fellows End of chapter one